Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's going to be about eight hours long this episode. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Misa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Dare I say it, it's a very dehydrated results on the weekend. Everyone needs to hydrate. This is one of the, yeah, everyone needs, listen, football clubs across the world need to hydrate because what was going on there? If you put money in this collapsing economy, to quote the great Ken Early on his recent uh, Irish Times piece, If you put money in this collapsed economy on an accumulator for these results, you could have retired and you would not have had to bet that much. If you'd bet 100 euros on Manchester City being thrashed, Bayern being thrashed, I mean, not Dortmund being done because Dortmund, bless you Dortmund, but you know, Chelsea women being done in the cup. Like if you put an accumulator on all of that, dude, the money. Well, we didn't. So we, we didn't. We're, still, uh, no. we're doing a podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice one, Musa. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So I have no instinct or interest in that stuff. So yeah. How, how are you? My brain is scrambled. Oh no. Shout out to the great Binivanga, late great Binivanga Wainaina. I was doing a sort of tribute with a couple of other artists with him last night over at the Howe Theatre in Berlin. That was a lovely, lovely evening. Um, and I think a suitably calm ending to a chaotic weekend of football. This was a festival, a circus, a bonanza, a jamboree. I mean, what would you call this weekend of football? The best way to sum it up is, who would have thought that on Barcelona's first competitive fixture of the season, they would be the most chill story to come out of any of it? (laughs) Barcelona was calm. You're right, Barcelona was calm. We'll talk about them later. but. We're going to just fly through the chaos this Monday episode because it kind of just feels like, you know, have you you seen World War Z? Oh my God, it's so funny he's the war reference I was going to use on as well. (laughs) Carry on, carry on. You know, there's that shot where all of the zombies are like climbing on each other over the wall. Over the wall, yeah. That was football this weekend, basically. (laughs) Relentless, terrifying, can't see a way out. Humble Law got a... uh, a load of stick and decided to take the heat off all the other shit that's going on. So yeah. like handball or one for the team. Actually, it was Ken Early's thing, the handball yeah. piece you did. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I'd go wow. recommend reading that, the Irish Times. I mean, you need a stiff drink after it. I mean, maybe it's like a strong black coffee. Ken's great. He's great, isn't he? One of the best. So yeah, we're going to fly through the chaos today. Before we do some admin, our website is getting a little bit of a, I was going to say spring cleaning, but we're coming into the autumn. Yeah. Just a nice little holding page for a few days. It should be up later this week again new stadio site mm. however you can still email us stadiofootball@gmail.com. we'll try and get back to as many of the emails as we possibly can a couple of pieces going up this week i believe two or one are you doing one this week i'm doing one as well yep 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 a couple of pieces wow you get both of us there we go content the content galore <laughs> on the ringer.com forward slash soccer stadio.bandcamp.com if you want to buy our theme tune we're donating all of the money all of the info about the organisations that we're donating to is on the Bandcamp page. Oh, do you want a dad update before we get into it? Yes, go for it, go for it. <laughs> I tweeted about this actually, saying that this weekend was so wild that my dad even used an emoji when describing the City game and he never uses emojis ever. In fact, he can't, he can't <laughs> convey 
emotion through a text message. You just can't do it. So I tried to fish him a bit. I was like, can you give me your thoughts on Leicester? So I wanted to read it out on the podcast, right? Because you know, he aired us last week. Yeah, yeah. Well, he had, he had you technically. He screened your call. And oh yeah, he had me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was going to read out his text about the Man City Leicester game. Bloody called me and gave me a 10 minute match report on a game I'd already seen. <laughs> he told you what happened. I mean, he came with some very valid points, but I was just like, oh, this isn't what I want. The bait, he didn't take the bait. Maybe he knows. Maybe he knows. He's got people on the inside. Well, you. All right, let's get into this mess after this. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Where do we, I think we probably have to start with Leicester Man City. Yeah. Of all the results, I think it's the most. I think it's the most understandable. Yeah, maybe that's right. Yes, actually, that's, that's right. Okay. Sorry, my dad's just texted me again. <laughs> what did he say this time? Any emotion? Oh, he's got a ticket for Horsham Bogner tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> so Leicester Man City. Okay, this is fascinating. So Leicester beat Manchester City 5-2 away. Can I jump in here though? Yeah, I don't on. think I don't think the away thing means so much now. Well, no, I was going to come to that. If you look at the basketball, you know, the NBA playoffs happening right now with the bubble. I mean, if the Heat can get to the finals, then Everton can win the league. Well, well, actually, we'll get to Everton because they're looking very interesting. And I think it's fair to say that Everton base have been doing their best to nuke the concept of the catfish because having beaten their women's team, having beaten um, Chelsea in the cup. Mm. They are having an extraordinary season as a club. What a weekend. What a weekend. What a great season. And look, just shout out to Carl Ancelotti, shout out to Calvert-Lewin, to James Rodriguez, to Richarlison, just the whole gang at Everton doing really great things. Mm. And like Sigurdsson being a squad player is great because now you've got depth at Everton. But back to, yeah, it's great, isn't it? But back to Leicester Man City. Now this is a result that's been coming for two years because we talked two years ago about Guardiola not strengthening the space that was directly behind him when he was a professional footballer. How can you be someone that made his living as a defence midfielder and look behind you and not make provision for the centre-back partnerships? This is the thing that struck me the most during the game. We've all been hoodwinked a little bit with Manchester City. If you think about it, if this was Manchester United and they had that back four, there would be absolute uproar. There would, there really would be. And I don't know what it is, but Manchester City have spent a lot of money on defenders. And I just think they're really poor at scouting defenders. Dare I say it, they have a problem with scouting defenders, but the problem they have is a cumulative soft centre. So you have these two eights, right? But the two eights aren't that defensive. And that puts pressure on the defensive midfielder, right? To do a lot more screening. Because if you've got players who are primarily creative, who aren't defending that much, tightly much, the defensive midfielder has an intense amount of pressure. Now, if you do what Leicester did, which is basically make Jamie Vardy one of the quickest players off the mark in the Premier League that we've ever seen. You make him man-mark Rodri. You're throttling the attack. You're throttling the build-up play. And if you do that, if you take one player out of the game, you're taking three out of the game. And Leicester knew that. And they piled into the gap. And Brendan Rodgers, 
is good at many things. And one of the things he's best at is smelling blood. This is basically a kind of revamp of the Arsenal game when Liverpool tore Arsenal apart in the first half hour when he was there in 2013-14 season. 5-1. Right, absolutely. This was a kind of, in its own form, it was a different iteration of that game. And I saw a lot of talk afterwards about this player's bad at that, this, but well, Rodgers finds space everywhere. And primarily it wasn't the fault of individual players. It was a systemic issue. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, th- I hear what you're saying about the soft centre thing, but I think Manchester City have been allowed to get away with it so long because their defensive work is spread so much wider than I think a lot of traditional teams have been. Like some of their most cynical players on the football pitch are also their most creative. How many times did this, the, the high fouling, the high tactical fouling has been something that has been a key, key aspect of Manchester City's game under Pep. And I think that saved them a lot of the time because I think there's a lot of parallels in terms of, not in terms of quality, but I think sometimes stylistically or pers- personality, let's say, to that run of when Arsenal just couldn't seem to sign a really good centre-back, mm. but they had really talented players up the pitch. The difference between that side and this side is that Manchester City are vastly more experienced, way more mature, and also just way more cynical. That Arsenal side back then was too, was too naive. And this Manchester City team is, you know, low-key gnarlier than a lot of people give him credit for. Like, Raheem Sterling is actually one of the most cynical fouling football players in the Premier League. Yep. But he's been asked to. Yep. And that also, De Bruyne, Mares, Bernardo Silva can do it. Phil Foden. Phil Foden loves a scrap. If you look at that back four, this is Pep's fifth year. And yes, they've had some trouble with injuries and stuff like that. But there is no way that Manchester City should be lining up on their opening home fixture with Eric Garcia and Nathan Ake as their two centre-backs. Right. They had Emmerich Laporte on the bench. Who? This is the thing was not convincing for a lot of people when he was fully fit. Right. But in absence, he's, Theo Walcott's lucky. He has, two, he has two laws named after him, Theo Walcott. <laughs> well, the first Walcott's law is that you're a prospect and then you're 30. Yeah. There's no in-between. That's right. The second Walcott's law is that your stock is never as high as when you're injured. The footballing equivalent of absence makes the heart grow fonder. Exactly. Yeah. Theo yep. Walcott had that in abundance at Arsenal. And I think Emmerich Laporte is, has got a bit of that at Manchester City. Yeah, I think that's right. Something's tormenting Pep. And this is not a good time to have your centre forwards having injury issues, you know, Sergio no. Aguero and Gabriel Jesus. This is not a good time because you need to get out of jails. This is a season of all seasons where you're going to need to nick games that you don't fully deserve to win, which is actually weird enough why Spurs are quite well set getting Gareth Bale mm. because you've got a player that's a bit of a joker yeah. You've got a player that's going to like get you points. But I think this is the thing with Pep. We joked about it before. But something happened when Arteta left. He's not been the same. I know it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but the clothes have become erratic to a worrying level now where someone needs to step in. You didn't even but want also, to comment on the shirt. You were asked to comment. You refused. Someone said, yeah, can we talk about Pep's jumper? And I was just like, no, it's too Ming. I don't want to look at it. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about it. It's funny because Pep's... Um, We've seen this with uh, Villanova, like we see how important his assistants are, which is to his credit because he recruits well. He doesn't recruit yes men. But there was an amazing comment about Arteta from Klopp, about he's proven in a short time that he's an exceptional manager. Mm -hmm. Arteta is not working with the pieces that Pep is working with. And you have to ask, if Arteta was at City now, would he be doing a better job than Pep with those pieces? 
Would he be doing, well, someone had to ask it, would he be doing a better job than Pep those pieces? And I think right now, in this moment, the answer is yes. In this specific I... moment. In this specific moment, only because, I'm not saying he's a better coach than Pep. What I'm saying is that I sometimes think with Guardiola, his strength is his weakness. If he has a certain type of piece and it's not working, he'll be like, oh, let me just reconfigure and see if it will still work. And sometimes the problem is the pieces. Sometimes the pieces just aren't right. He had, you know why I say this? This happened with his fullbacks in his first season when he thought that Sanya, I think Clichy could play that style and they couldn't and it just didn't work. Mm. And I think he's maybe in the same situation now where the players, they can't execute to the level what he wants and maybe he's not adapting to their limitations. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Maybe he's trying to push it to a level that they don't really even need to go to. So I'm not so sure about the Arteta doing a better job than Pep there because I think so much of what Arteta, so much, I mean, you know, we're recording this ahead of Liverpool Arsenal. Arsenal might get hammered, you know, and it might all come undone. But I think that, that's part of the fun though, isn't it? So much of the reason behind the goodwill of the Arteta is, has brought at Arsenal is context and situation. It's like an old Arsenal man coming back in. I don't think he would have had that relationship with Manchester City had he just been put in charge there. Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of that is, it, it's bought him more time than maybe some, what you saw with Unai Emery. Like, yeah, he's yeah. brought in more patience. Players have focused again because it's an FA Cup winning captain coming back to manage. Some yeah. of them have played with him. But yeah, I think Pep looks like he's creating more problems than he's solving at the moment. Mm. Yeah. There's such a weird squad, Manchester City, because like when everyone is fully fit, they are so dangerous. And we said that, you know, they could be a real problem this season for Liverpool because angry Pep is, is a good Pep, really. But there's something just not right. And I can't, I can't really put my finger on it. Saying that though, when you're Manchester City and you're kind of in this vibe, Leicester are not the team you want. Are they ever Jamie the team Vardy you just want? does not give a shit about Pep or Man City. Eight goals, like, eight goals yeah. and an assist in nine games against City. Yeah, the only other player to score a hat-trick against the Pep side than Lionel Messi. And, he's, and Vardy's got two of the three hat-tricks against Pep's, what, yeah. against Pep's teams. I thought Vardy was really good. It was like a lesson, a lesson in efficiency. You know, barely any touches, really smart runs. He looks like he's going to age really well, Jamie Vardy, I think. Vardy is the most Atleti striker that never played for Atleti. <laughs> yeah, that's a good shout. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The way that he, like his focus when he was describing the tactical plan and his relentlessness, I thought to myself, I would least like, I think of all the players in the Premier League to encounter like in a private poll, I reckon he's like top five most unpleasant to play against in terms of just his movement. Oh yeah, no one wants to play against Quality him. of his link up, like the counter, like, oh, one last thing on the lesser thing, the Yuri Tielemans penalties. I've been looking at penalties a bit, you know, collectibles because I like to look around the leagues and see which penalties are interesting. Yuri Tielemans scored an absolute beauty. He hit it with the outside of the right foot, like disguises it and like cuts across it. And like, I was like, because like, of course now, there are so many penalties. There's so much footage of how penalties are taken and goalkeepers study it that it's like players have to think of smarter and smarter ways to do mm. it. And Three that, great penalties. That's one that I hadn't quite seen before, the kind of outside, outside the right foot slice. On, on the Tielemans thing, actually, it was something that I was thinking during the game was, you know, like I said about Manchester City's blind spot in terms of scouting really, really good centre-backs. Leicester City have an amazing ability to scout central midfield positions. Yep, yep. I actually can't remember, maybe by their first season in the Premier League, where at any point over the last few years, like Leicester have had a ropey looking midfield. I was really angry when Tillemans went there. I was really angry because 
It's a really good coup for them. He's a great, great player. And a few have been looking for a while. Um, Ndidi as well. I mean, I love Ndidi, not only as a player, but because he quoted Shakespeare. <laughs> the season, yeah, the season after Leicester won, they have an away win. And he was like, he comes on Twitter and he tweets like, heavy lies the crown. Mm. I mean. <laughs> but like Mendy, I thought was really impressive as well uh, on the weekend. And I just thought they looked really good. But uh, the one really, really good thing about this game was to see three penalties given for fouls. Oh my God. So refreshing. I was just like, oh, oh, this is like. Oh, the old days. Oh, I should be playing this in black and white. Good on this penalty, exactly. Yeah, good on this penalty just for a shit foul. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I do miss it. No no real kind of VAR nonsense. No. Oh, it was lovely. We've got a question from Juan Torres on Twitter. Should I put everything I have on Leicester to finish in the top four? No, don't do anything. Don't go, do go for anything. It, go for it, go for don't. it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so Leicester are top of the league. Ever in a second. We're not going to talk too much about Evan because we talked about them a lot last week. West Ham beat Wolves 4-0 and I can't figure this out apart from the only thing is that maybe David Moyes should manage on Zoom every week. Maybe. <laughs> I thought this has got nil-nil written all over it or like a 1-0 Wolves win. I just cannot believe West Ham. Well, Sebastian Allo scored, which is great because I think he was... We've been dying for Sebastian Allo to kind of kick in. I mean, he scored right at the end after coming on two minutes after he came on or three minutes after Didn't he came on. Didn't look very happy either, yeah. <laughs> no. The most interesting thing about this for me, it kind of goes in with Sheffield United as well. Wolves and Sheffield United losing a little bit of an air of their, not invincible, invincibility because neither were invincible, but they've both been, what's the word I want to say? They both look a lot easier to beat this season than they were last season. Sheffield United losing to Leeds, which is obviously no yeah. massively embarrassing thing, but if you talk about World War Z pressing, that is Leeds. They are basically the original World War Z when it comes to pressing. To be doing that in the 90th minute, I mean, not many teams withstand pressing like that that late in the game. But yeah, you're right. As an overall trend, Sheffield United and Wolves have kind of lost like sort of 15%. Yeah, I mean, Wolves have lost two of their opening three. Sheffield United have lost all three of their opening three and are mm. at the bottom of the table at the moment. I'm a little bit worried about them, actually. I can't remember who it was, but someone did tweet us on the last show, I think, about Sheffield United saying that could they be a shout for this year's Catfish, which is not a wild shout, I don't think. Yeah, it's not wild. It's just when people have got a little bit of a measure on how to handle you mm. and when the teams coming up are quite interesting and quite enterprising, it just puts that fresh pressure on. And of, of course, as well, like a season like this will put pressures on a squad that we haven't seen before. Yeah, definitely. Let's quickly talk about Brighton, Manchester United, and what well, I, I would quite like to do the Brighton, Manchester United, and Spurs, Newcastle in one. If that makes sense. Good luck with that. Because two very, very, very last minute handball decisions given by VAR. The Manchester United game had already blown up full time, which was wild. I mean, are we going to really go into the handball thing, or do we? Do, or should we just let everyone else fight about it, and we'll just sit here and? Let everyone else fight about like, it because do you like know what? Bunkin, like Bunkin McNulty just drinking and sitting on the car. car I saw it. people getting more outraged about handballs than about Black Lives Matter. I know, I know, oh so, my no, God. In terms of the language people were using, people were using language about like ethics in football and ethical stands. And I was like, let me just do a quick search and just check out. So I did some searches on like these particular individuals dude, they hadn't talked about like any of these incidents of like any ethical stuff within the game. It was the handball thing. 
And I just thought to myself, is this something to talk about? Don't get me wrong. I know that, I know the handball, I think what it is, I think that the handball thing, it is frustrating. I'm not trying to belittle that. It is a frustrating thing. It's super frustrating. But the thing is, we could literally spend every minute of every show talking about this for the rest of the season because it's going to happen. Can I be fair to the frustration, to those being frustrated about it, and I feel it too, it's because actually some of us just want the escapism and it feels like, I mean, you look at the decision, just mention the one, the Eric Dyer one. Um, that's an awful, you see, the reason that that is so upsetting to people is because it ruins and reduces, takes away all spontaneity in the game because you can't legislate for that. And I thought it was interesting that Steve Bruce came out afterwards and was just mm. like, yeah, we benefited, but it's kind of awful. Mm. And that's right. And I like the same with that. Roy Hodgson as well. Roy Hodgson did a really good thing because he criticized, he actually criticized the one that he got given last weekend for like Palace got given last week as well. A lot of people chopped out of his post-match comments, but he did the same thing about the penalty against Manchester United last yeah. week. I really like that they did that. Yeah. Um, I think the Morpies one for Brighton as well, I thought was just, yeah. The escapism thing though, is the thing I would say is, I think with all of this stuff, it's like no one wants their escapism micromanaged. Do you know what I mean? By a load exactly. of dudes in like a retail park. Yeah. In front exactly. of a load of screens. That's, I think that's what it comes down to. Exactly. Exactly. But what I want to say as well is Brighton. Looking good. Oh, look, this is actually, and I say this as a United fan, this was really unfair on Brighton. How do you hit the bar like, what, three, four times? Five they hit times? the post and the bar five times. Five I times think, in total. Five times they would work and they lost. And they were vastly superior to United. And Carl Anker, shout out to him. Carl said like, United cannot keep relying upon penalties and breakaways. Mm. I mean, Brighton's expected goals was 2.59. Manchester United was 1.69. So that goes to show how, how much Brighton deserved to win it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. They were, they were really unlucky. But I know, man, something, that Manchester United defence is leaky. Let me say this, as a sign of Brighton's progress, it's amazing that they're now disappointed with a home loss to Manchester United. That's a yeah, great they're, they're going to be fine this season, Brighton, I think. They'll be fine. Manchester United, I mean, Marcus Rashford's goal, I mean, spiritual footwork. Mm. Spiritual footwork to lose his man twice. But the United defence, the worst thing is, it's a, it's a long foreshadowed problem. We need to go through more games. We do. We need to talk about... Should we go abroad? We need to, we haven't even talked about Chelsea. Oh my, oh my God. They nearly got with us not discussing it. Okay, so Chelsea three, West Brom three. West Brom three and up at half time. A lot made of Thiago Silva's poor performance, but he's a 35 year old defender who may not be fully fit. And it's like almost what did anyone expect? That, that, that was the least surprising part of, of um, Chelsea going three nil down was that that would happen to Thiago Silva in his first start. Like that, mm. that was, to me was normal. Like he expected, that's a systemic problem, which I don't put necessarily at his, at his feet. And then Chelsea fighting their way back, just overwhelming in the second half. Callum Hudson-Odoi was at the heart of all of that, really. I mean- He changed the game, I thought. He did. He was outstanding in every facet, the positions he took up. Look, I still feel that Chelsea bought one attacking midfielder slightly too many. I think at the same time, their best configuration probably is the 4-2-3-1. I think it's the one which best allows the players to express themselves. And if they get the right pairing of the two, then they're looking good. And they're still a work in progress. But <laughs> the only question is how, how do I say this delicately? Or should I say it delicately? The challenges of integration of talent are going to be long for Chelsea. And it, 
the attack isn't going to be their problem this year. And that's the one thing they can say safely. They're not going to have a problem generating chances because when they come forward, when they're cohesive, it's really impressive that, in this on a positive note, how well different configurations of players combine. Mm. You know what I mean? They, the second half, once they got everything together, I was just like, this, you know, the equaliser felt inevitable. And uh, one more thing on the Premier League before we go. Sana Qureshi. Ah, shout out to Sana. She must be very happy. She says, which kit should I pick to wear to Everton's Winners Parade? <laughs> and on that note, we're going to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we're back from the break. We're going to move into this segment off the back of this tweet from Coco underscore Shante. What is football without some controversy? Absolutely nothing. I mean, weirdly enough, this this weekend of all weekends didn't need controversy. I mean, do we go to Bundesliga? I think before we do, let's quickly go through the women's FA Cup games, which yep. saw Arsenal beat Spurs in a North London derby, which didn't feature Alex Morgan. And which, despite the scoreline... Actually, was close to late. Four goals in the last 17, 18 minutes. Hattrick from Lisa Evans and Jordan Nobbs got the first, which was a beautiful, beautiful goal. And can I say something about that? Because the nature of that goal and the timing of it, like it's actually weird enough it was credit to Spurs. It sounds strange, yeah. but it, it had to be a goal that good to break Spurs down. And it came out of a bit of ill-discipline, this sort of slightly sloppy pass that was seized upon by Nobbs. But like Spurs, we saw that from last year. They can be really hard to break down when they get their minds to it. And mm. like I say, credit to them that the goal had to be that good to break the deadlock. Yeah. And of course, once, the, once Arsenal basically get a sniff, they'll go away at you. Everton beat Chelsea, as you mentioned, after going one or down. That's a massive result for Everton through to the semi-final against Birmingham City. Bear in mind, these are the last, for those who don't know, this is last season's FA Cup that they didn't finish. Birmingham City will play Everton in one semi-final and Arsenal will play Manchester City in the other who beat Leicester. 2-1 away. Those games are on Wednesday this week. Oh my goodness. Wednesday evening. So we'll talk about them on Thursday's show. All right, let's move on to the Bundesliga. Yeah, let's do it. None of last season's top five, none of them won, 
It was looking like a lovely weekend for Bayern, who then went and lost 4-1 away at Hoffenheim. So where do you want to begin? Do you want to begin with Dortmund? Yes, because I think these were not catfish results. Augsburg are just a really good team and gave Dortmund a lot of trouble at home in the last, the last time they played. So Augsburg will be like, actually, this is just, just desserts for the last time we played you because we should have beat them. They were 3-1 up. Yeah, Dortmund came back with a hat-trick from Erling Haaland. And this time, Augsburg went ahead early with the pressure and, and, and finished the job. And you might argue, actually, weirdly enough, this was a fair result. Given the way in which Augsburg anticipated the weaknesses of Dortmund, this was no different in many ways to what they did to them last season. So fair result. The only positive of this, there's, actually there's two positives for Dortmund in this defeat. The first was their away kit, which looked amazing, uh, like incredible. And the second thing, weirdly enough, was when Augsburg went for Jude Bellingham, watching Erling Haaland step in. Uh, see, the, I actually think this is a negative, this, but carry on, because I, I, I was talking about this with someone yesterday. Yeah, I was like, I like how together they are. I don't invite, I don't, I don't um, think people should go looking for trouble. It was like when France played Uruguay and Mbappe got roughed about by Godin and, 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 and Pogba basically stepped in. And I was like, I kind of like to see that a bit. I like to see a bit of people backing their own. Maybe this is me looking for positives in a Dortmund defeat, which frankly, you, know, you shouldn't be losing at Augsburg. Maybe a draw would have been a better result. But I guess I was weirdly reassured by that. But yeah, what, what was your take on it? Well, I think that the fact that a 20-year-old who only signed in January is the guy who's stepping in first when a 17-year-old is getting roughed up is bad, actually. And I think that this is one of the problems that I have with Dortmund's a little bit is that I was actually chatting to Jonathan Harding about this and I'm, I'm going to do a thing on Dortmund soon, so I don't want to give too much of it away. But I think that it's really easy to, to throw stuff like Dortmund are weak mentally or mentality-wise they're weak and all this. Stuff. And I don't think they are. I think that they are inconsistent. It's quite easy, I think, to absolve themselves of responsibility individually. A 20-year-old shouldn't be the guy who's stepping in to do that. You've got more experienced players in that squad who should be there. The leadership isn't really coming from Berkey or from Hummels or those kind of players. It's coming from the young core already. Mentality, I don't think, is a, it's not a nature thing. It's a nurture thing. Look at Bayern at some points under Kovac. There's no, there's, there wasn't the ruthless mentality that they have under Flick. Right. It's something it's that's learned behaviour. It's like... Augsburg were a good team, right? And this, this, this to me wasn't a meant... This was just like a team that had a good look at them last year and executed really well this year. I don't think this was a mentality game, actually, weirdly enough. It's a plus in one sense that you have like Erling Haaland stepping in for a 17-year-old he's getting kicked off with. But like, it's also a massive negative if you think the leadership is coming from a core group of four players who none of them are hit 21 yet. Really? No, I get that. Yeah, I get that. Well, I, think, I think what Augsburg yeah. did really, really well was that they kind of roughed Dortmund up a bit. And that was their, I think that was their game plan all along because they knew that. Talking to Jonathan Harding about this, and it's not the first time I've said this, sometimes this Dortmund side reminds me of that late 2000s, early 2010s Arsenal side that have all the talent in the world on their day, but there's just a little bit of experience missing or they're not street smart yet. Do you know what I mean? And I think that they're really easy to get at in those scenarios by a side like, Augsburg. I mean, Augsburg had like 20% possession or something like that. Do they remind me of though? They remind me more of Liverpool. They didn't have Alisson and they had Mignolet and they didn't have Van Dijk and they had Lovren and they had the soft centre. And it was like, and this Augsburg remind me a little bit of Burnley actually, because Burnley had that weird dynamic 
where they had that hold over Liverpool, where their strengths matched up directly with Liverpool's flaws. So Liverpool didn't like the um, straight down the throat, rough up, break up the rhythm, because you take Dortmund out of their passing rhythm and then you have a chance against them, as you do against all football playing sides. And Augsburg had just the right amount of, um, they call it in basketball, just getting stops. They get stops against you. So, so to me, in a way, weirdly enough, I looked at this result and didn't, I didn't feel like this was a, oh, Dortmund, because I was like, it's Augsburg. I mean, in 25 it, games, this is only the third time right. that Augsburg have beaten Dortmund. Right. But so I just, like I say, but watching last year's, like last season's game in the same fixture, I'm just saying like, this was the same blueprint, right? Like it's the mm. same kind of game they played. So it was like Augsburg had worked out a way to kind of get behind Dortmund. And they might've felt, yeah, last year that was one that got away because the big untold story last year was just how good Augsburg were in that five, in, in the five, three defeat. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. Like, I think Augsburg actually deserve a load of credit for this. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they had a game plan and they executed it much in the same way that Hoffenheim did against, against Bayern. Yeah, yeah. Bayern were massively rested, obviously, but they still had the enough quality on there that you think would win the game. Yeah. I thought Hoffenheim just really went at Bayern, exposed that high line really well. Yeah, that was excellent. And actually caught them on the, I was going to say caught them on the hop, which is a massive pun. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the fixture congestion, playing the Super Cup on Thursday. Yeah. They looked a little bit leggy. This was the most tired looking Bayern I've seen under Flick so far. Yeah. But I'd caveat that by saying it's kind of understandably so. Yes, absolutely. I thought it was interesting with Bayern. I mean, the defensive midfield access that they had of Talisa and Kimmich, again, isn't the most, it doesn't have the best chemistry just because it doesn't play together that much. So that mm. to me was like, oh, seeing that as a Hoffenheim player, you'd be like, they just don't know exactly how they like to move together. And we can maybe find some joy there. You combine that with a high line that they play and you have a sniff. And the thing with Bayern is you have to disorientate them, you know? So there's a great piece that Gabriele Marcotti wrote um, about Bayern's lack of squad depth was really interesting. It was really interesting. See, Zerkis started ahead of Lewandowski, who got a breather, who came on um, after an hour. They didn't have much depth at the um, right-back position because Dest has gone to Barca, which is an amazing signing for them and actually an amazing signing for the Bundesliga because Pavard positionally, again, I've, I've watched Pavard a few times and paid attention to him. He gets exposed at the right-back position. There's a lot of times when Bayern get attacked from left to right and Pavard is inside the centre-back. There was one time when they attacked um, Hoffenheim and Kimmich was in the centre-back position. Like he was, mm. and I was like, hang on a minute, like how are you getting dragged? Maybe it's because Pavard's good in the air, but he gets dragged towards the centre, the penalty spot quite a lot. So the absence of um, a new right-back for Bayern is a problem for them. Well, I mean, arguably, yeah, when your best right back is playing centre midfield, <laughs> it's like... Yeah, but yeah, but this is the, yeah, the, yeah. But the gaps at Bayern, and it sounds strange because they're you know, European champions, but these things are cyclical and people get a good look at you. They work out what you're good at, what you're not good at. And with the fixture pile up, I'm sure there'll be an element of Hoffenheim being, they're tired. They played a really, really gruelling game against Sevilla because Sevilla do wear you down. Let's go at them. Yeah, and also a little bit of a reality check. I think that any any squad, European champions, Bundesliga champions or not, that loses Thiago, Perisic and Coutinho from a squad, in addition to Javi Martinez, who's on his way out of the club, yeah, 
those are four ex- really experienced, really talented footballers to have at your disposal in a game like this. Those players would have been playing this weekend. Yes, they brought in Leroy Sané, who is potentially going to be otherworldly with, with Serge Gnabry. But I actually think Joshua Zerzki will be a really, really good player as well. And he had a big impact last season. Like when he came in against Freiburg and got that goal right at the end yeah. to kind of get them out of trouble. There are some things they need to figure out here. And we said on the last... I think it was last Monday that Dortmund have to make sure that they're within touch and distance of Bayern. Yes. And they got away with one this weekend, but I would say that it's interesting to show that there is a flaw there. And I actually think that that will galvanize or that not that there's a flaw, but that, that, that Bayern could be got at. And I think that will galvanize the, the Bundesliga as a whole and potentially create some more interesting fixtures when people play Bayern. Yeah. You know, Hertha go to Bayern next week. And also Bayern and Dortmund play in the Super Cup on Wednesday. So that's an extra fixture that they have to fulfill before that. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see because a Bayern team low, low on energy doesn't really want to face that kind of Hertha front three because they Not are quite all. energetic. Yeah. And look, um, has caused trouble at Bayern before, as we know. Uh, got the hat-trick for Fortuna. So, yeah, an interesting visit for them. You never know. You never, I mean, the, the, we'll talk about the Super Cup on... Thursday because yep, yep. before we talk about Schalke I want to shout out the two promoted sides who are currently 6th and 8th only after two games but still it's really nice to see Armenia Bielefeld played 2 1-1 drawn 1 two goals scored one conceded four points 6th position ahead of Bayern Munich <laughs> <laughs> and just below Bayern Munich Stuttgart who had a really good result on the weekend against Mainz yeah Mainz yeah winning 4-1 at Mainz and Look good. They do look good. Werder Bremen beat Schalke three one, which ultimately cost David Wagner his job. You kind of called it. I mean, you felt it was in the works, wasn't it? What ninety? No win in the last nineteen, I think, for Schalke. I literally cannot remember the last time Schalke won a football match. The scary thing with Schalke is that they've still got good pieces they can lose. That's the scary thing. Like when they had Weston McKenney, they were still struggling. They've got Ozan Kabak, who looks like he's on his way out for various reasons. Well, I mean, um, to be honest, he, sh- he had a mare on the weekend and... He got booked for the tackle, then he spat on the guy and didn't, that didn't get seen. And then he got a second yellow. Brilliant centre-back, very talented and will probably get a big move somewhere, but... Well, Liverpool were rumoured to be after him, right? Yeah, and, you know, if he, if he leaves, he's not the best of form. But if he leaves, I mean, Schalke, look, they look doomed already, to be honest. Well, I mean, I know that there've been a mass, there was massive upheaval in the summer. Obviously, Tony stepped down and they restructured the club in terms of like their, they, they basically came out and said, we're not going to challenge for the, for the European positions for a while. We're going to promote youth. We're going to cost cut, do all of this kind of stuff. If they were going to fire David Wagner two games into the season, then why not just do it in the summer? Because if you're two games away from being fired, yeah, then it's going to happen. Yes. So what you've done is you've robbed the squad of a pre-season under a new manager to get used to new ideas with the new set of circumstances and to push forward and start a season afresh. Yeah. It's clear that the Wagner was kind of struggling with that squad. Yeah. And that's the thing I'm a little bit confused about with Schalke. I don't. I I joke on Twitter about Hub Stevens coming in. In a serious football sense, I don't think that's just not the right move for Schalke at all. I mean, they might need him temporarily in some kind of like Jupp Heynckes firefighting role, but they need to really figure something out now because Schalke, they're back to square one again. They're just like one of the cornerstones. So yeah, I hope they, um, I hope they pull through, but I'm, I'm not sure how, what form that would take at the moment. Long way to go. Very long. 
Quickly, Frank in Germany asked us a question. Has the limited return of fans to the Bundesliga games been a success and is the timing of it correct? Timing of it, I don't really know. I think success, yes. However, no ultras are back and that for me is a real shame. Ultras have got a stance of staying away until everyone is allowed back in. Um, However, it has been quite nice to see a glimpse of football as we know it returning. Yeah. But it isn't the same and it won't be the same until ultras are back in Germany because ultras are responsible for so much of the the so much of what makes the Bundesliga great from a from an experience point of view. Yeah, it's great to have some fans back in there. It's great to hear, hear some songs, but it's not going to be the same. No, absolutely. Um, so is the timing of it correct? I don't really know. German cases are on the rise again. However, the amount of hospitalizations is fairly low. Still, people are kind of observing social distancing and, and you know, masks are everywhere still, apart from when some people do their little protests. Yeah, oh gosh. But, I mean, Germany hasn't been perfect, but it has been handled a lot better than numerous other countries that shall remain nameless. Absolutely nameless, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know if the timing is correct, to be honest, because I don't really know what timing is correct to bring fans back. Yeah. That's my honest answer. Sorry. Uh, Should we take another break? Let's do it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're going to talk about La Liga now. We have to talk about Atleti. Oh, you want to go Atleti first? Well, to be honest, like we mentioned at the top of the show, Barca, in this weekend of chaos, slipped very quietly into the night with a 4-0 win. No drama against Villarreal. Done at halftime, 4 0 at halftime. I don't like that appointment, but carry on. What of Unai Emery? Wasn't a fan of it. No, I'm not either. I'm a big fan of them snapping up Danny Parejo and uh, Francis Coquelin in the centre of midfield, though. <laughs> Who are both invisible when exactly. Barcelona broke the goal. <laughs> yeah. Lionel Messi is back in a Barcelona shirt, scoring. Ansu Fati, I mean, well, we had a question for Matteo. Do you see Ansu Fati as one of the world's best in the future? Yes. yes. We spoke about him recently, didn't we? After the... In the near future. Stuff. In the near future. It feels like the kind of like, you know, the Ronaldinho handover to Messi. It feels like the Messi handover to Fatty. Fatty has already been decisive at an elite level in crucial games. Wins penalties with ease. Did it against the Ukraine for Spain. Did it again here. Just has that step where he leaves you for dead, hesitates you and goes, freezes you and goes. Link up play is brilliant. It's decisive on the counter. I mean, this guy. And Messi sort of jogging about like a proud dad. <laughs> hey, do you know what though? On a serious note, I watched this game and I was like, when was the last time Barca killed a game by halftime? Right. Maybe early last season. Nope. I went back and looked. Wow, okay. Uh... There were games where they were maybe 2-1 or 3-1 up at halftime or they ultimately won the game like 6-0, but they were only 2-0 up at halftime, for example. Was it under Valverde? I might be wrong, but I think it was December 2018 against Espanyol. Oh, poor Espanyol. Was Paolo Pestel there? No, he would have been at Betis by then, right? Oh, right. 
Messi still followed him. That was the yeah. season Messi dinked him against Beckham. <laughs> Sorry, that will never not be funny. I think that was the last time that Barca had killed a game like this by halftime. That's a great observation. Even games that they won a lot last season, it was very... Like the Napoli game. Yeah, but it just was, it didn't feel, it never felt done. This felt yeah. done at halftime. Like the, yeah. the second half was just, you may as well not have really played it. Right, right. And that used to be done with ease under early to mid-era Valverde and numerous managers beforehand. And I just thought, why is that? And we kind of raised our eyebrow about Koeman, but you look at that lineup and you kind of think, okay, what's he done? And he's actually just solved issues. He's very much done what Hansi Flick did in his first few games at Bayern. Square pegs. Put people in the places they are supposed to be in. Griezmann, central, looked great. Coutinho behind him, allowed to roam. Messi on the right and Ansu Fati on the left. Holding two of De Jong and Busquets. I thought Busquets had moments of being quite, quite poor. You know? Busquets pressing for the fourth goal. <laughs> exactly. I was just like, huh, actually, like we said, you didn't need to burn the whole thing down with Barca. Right. You just needed someone to get a handle on it. Now, I don't, I'm not for one second saying that Koeman has got a handle on it, but I just tweeted this. I was like, this is all very, this is all very stress-free for Barca at the moment. And with Dest potentially, with Dest meant to be coming from Ajax, that's huge. I just think that Dest coming in at the perfect time, and a lot of people are like, why would you go to Barca over Bayern? And I'm like, well, because they're on the way up and you get to be part of the rebuild. That team rebuilds itself very quickly. Like Barca are resilient. The talent that squad is there. And maybe a lot of what they, we said this before, they needed a bit of revitalization. And you get that with youth. Yep, absolutely. And it's exciting. It's, I joked before, you said hot takes like Barca for the league. But not a ridiculous shout, given the time. Well, the league is wide open this year. Yeah. It's absolutely wide open. Maybe we'll use this to move on to Suarez and Atleti because shouts to Kevin Williams because he said there's going to be a lot of revisionism around Suarez. Yes. And it was right for him to move, which I agree with. However, I think it was absolutely wrong of Barcelona to allow him to move to a direct rival this season. And especially to move to a direct rival, which basically did all the things that Barca did not do for... Suarez's declining physical state, which is have loads of runners. You are surrounded by such intense physical output at Atleti that all you have to do primarily is operate in a very particular part of the final third. Mm -hmm. And in that particular, basically, Simeone can say to Suarez, here is a space, here is a rectangle of six meters by 20 meters. And in there alone, you have to be explosive and nowhere else. You give Suarez that brief then he's going to kill teams. But of course, Barca never had the runners to do that. You had Vidal, Sergio Roberto, players who aren't particularly quick or aging. You got Pjanic as well. Mm. So, you know, who was coming in. So this team was never going to give him the runners he needed. But this Atleti team, it's just the perfect match. Does that make sense? So yeah. my, revision is, my revision is not like, I don't think Barca should have kept Suarez. I don't believe No, I don't either. I, I, don't, I don't think at all they should have kept him. However, I just don't yeah. think they should have let him to go to anyone else who yeah. was going to potentially come in the top four. Disastrous. Disastrous. All of a sudden, this becomes like a last dance for Atleti. Exactly. Takes on that energy, like revenge, big revenge season. You've got a lot of people in there who are like, have been written off. Costa's been written off. Suarez has been written off. A lot of that Atleti side have been written off. Jao Felix came alive. I thought this was one of the best performances I've seen from Jao Felix for Atleti so far. 
I thought he was brilliant. It's Absolutely so easy brilliant. for him. It's so easy. You know, once you give him the reins, and we saw it actually, but every now and again, Simeone allows Gerard Felix to kind of cut loose and go rogue because he's disciplined enough and he's creative enough to just create his own mm-hmm. opportunities. Uh, earned the penalty for the second, scored the third. He is at the heart of, I mean, I, I still, I, I think he's still underrated actually. I know that he was, that, that huge amount of money was paid for him. But I think that as a footballer, as a, as a playmaker, I mean, you could put him in any team mm-hmm. in world football and I think he would, he'd improve it somehow. I think he's that good. Well, he is. He's a great player. He's a great prospect. I think that obviously yeah. he's always going to be marred with the, with the, the fee that they paid for him. But the only reason they paid the fee for him was because they got that basically for Griezmann. So it was kind of like, a, yeah, you just, you just basically got younger. And also you're paying for 10 years of football. Like he's yeah. a guy you just hang on to for 10 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. I, I was really impressed with that, Letty. I think they took five games to score their first six goals last season in the league. And they did this against Granada. Granada were a good side. And they missed a penalty as well. And you know what got me about this game as well? The variety of goals they scored. Yeah. Like this wasn't just like set piece Atleti, cross. This was like counter press, break, one touch, play through you, score from the right flank, left flank. They, that, that is a diverse attack they've got. Mm. Partey and Thomas Lamar on the bench they've got real depth there Lorente as well I mean this is just we said this though this is a stacked Atleti squad it was last year it was stacked last year and they added Suarez as the final ingredient and the entire attack just popped because now you've got a threat for Diego Costa in that role you've got different types of combinations different ways that Suarez likes to play dropping deep and then spinning into the space that's not a thing that Costa really does he doesn't really spin into the space anymore hasn't got the legs for it you have all that institutional knowledge and you've got the fact, it's almost like a, it's a cheat guide for Barca, right? You've basically got like a guy who's been there and won it all, won a Champions League, so knows how to handle that pressure. That's incredible institutional knowledge, but also who knows how your biggest rivals like to play. Mm. Like the one thing Atleti didn't have last year was how to break down complex attacking systems. Suarez can just go in and talk to Simeone and be like, look, I know you've got your defensive issues. I know that's what you've got nailed, but the one thing you do have a problem with is how to score against X, Y, Z. Well, I know that Ramos hates this and I know that PK hates that. Why? Because look at my highlight reel. That is incredible as a brains trust. And Simeone, the thing I like about him is he's not, um, he's got his methods, but he's not a vain dude. He just hasn't necessarily had a player. I mean, who, whoever really has brought in a player of that quality in the modern times against a direct competitor, we haven't really seen it that often. True. So yeah, that's a huge, and Suarez off the field could be as interesting as Suarez on the field for Atleti this year. Um, Betis is the top of La Liga despite losing a game. And being really good against Real, being really yeah, good. Yeah, late Ramos penalty, it's begun. It's begun, the conspiracy theorists are out. Yeah, but Real, do you know what? The smart, the smart people at dressing room will be worried. Mm. The dependence upon Ramos and Benzema, I'm not being funny, watching Benzema, he covers a multitude of sins in that team and not just in the attack. His work rate is astonishing. It was weird. There was a moment right at the end when he scuffs a shot wide and he's like a bit knackered and disappointed. But I just thought to myself, almost would have been unfair for that goal to go in Mm. because the goal would not have reflected all the work he was doing off the ball. If you've just seen Benzema scoring in a four to be, oh, Benzema does it again. No, actually like he is carrying a lot of weight in that team. You've got two wingers who aren't really like, who are a bit shot shy, Vinicius and Rodrigo. Jovic doesn't really look kind of, well. It's that, that, it was weird how they lined up, but like Jovic next to Benzema, Odegaard behind, and then Kroos, Casemiro, and Ferdi Valverde, who I thought was brilliant, actually. The good thing for Real is that they do have options. Modric on the bench, 
Nacho on the bench from a defensive set, Rodrigo up front, Vinicius on the bench, but they need Hazard back fit and firing. They really, really need that this season. If they, if that, because otherwise, the amount of weight, like you said, that goes on Ramos and Benzema in that, it's if something happens to either of those, they could be in really big trouble. Because it's a similar thing to what I was saying about Dortmund earlier. Without those two, who steps up now? Exactly this. Modric maybe, but apart from that. Right. They can be undone, Real. They can really be undone. So, you know, it's, it's almost like the kind of the empires are teetering. You could, you could see really teams going at them. That's a nice little segue. Should we go to Serie A quickly before we uh, wrap? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Juve dropped their first points of the season. Very interesting. Oh, okay, this is frustrating because Roma, so it's a two-all draw against, in, at Roma. So frustrating because Roma's attack Beautifully balanced. And now Dzeko's going to Juve. Why? They've just got Morata. Morata, Ronaldo. This is what Juve do though. They got Higuain. They always get one volume scorer and one forward that can contribute. It's just, I suppose you could say it's good recruitment. And Weston McKennie started again in midfield with Adrian Rabio. Darren Ramsey a little bit more further forward than he was last weekend. Two words to describe that, that midfield. Chaotic energy. Have you ever employed two people? I was going to say going through it. Yeah, going, going through it. <laughs> I feel like going through it at the moment. They're just fig- no, they're figuring it out. They are figuring it out. Yeah, but I mean, this part, right? If there was any yeah. other manager who would chuck that midfield in, you'd be like, "What are you doing?" But there is something deeply absorbing about the fact that the first two competitive fixtures of the season, Pirlo has essentially picked a midfield triangle of Aaron Ramsey and the deeper line pairing of Adrian Rabio and Weston McKenna. <laughs> so I'm just laughing because there was a really funny moment just before Rabio <laughs> got a yellow for a terrible foul where he receives possession and turns. And I was like, oh, he looks like Pirlo there. Like the way he does. <laughs> and then <laughs> a split second later, he lunges and does a terrible foul. I guess maybe that's just me wanting to see shape and form where it isn't quite yet. Uh, I think they're going to be okay. I think... Drawing two all the way at Roma isn't the worst result in the world. No, never has Napoli been. Napoli atop after absolutely battering Genoa 6-0. Yeah. Milan is super interesting, just quickly say. Mm. Rebic as a nine, that's like a much faster attack all of a sudden. Yeah. I really like the job Pioli is doing there. Oh, look at how, how Milan all of a sudden look quite quick as soon as you take Zlatan out. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I you did. To, I didn't want to say it. Before we go, Inter for... Fiorentina three, two late goals for Inter won the game from Lukaku and D'Ambrosio. Frank Ribery, masterclass. He's having a lovely time. He's living in Florence. I mean, there's some, we've said this about Florence though, haven't we? It's one of those clubs where you're like, oh, why do players spend their entire career there? You look through the, oh, Fiorentina in that time. And then you actually, you know, I've not been to Florence unfortunately yet, but you talk to people who've been there, who've lived there and you're like, yeah, like it's a place that you end up staying. <sighs> it's early days, you know, but I know what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Interesting. I think Fiorentina are going to surprise a few people this season. Or maybe Can not. I, if I'm Milan, I go for it this year. I go for it slyly, quietly. I don't talk about it openly, but I'm going for it this year as Milan. We're going to have to do more Serie A next time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Should we get out of here? Let's do it. Anything you want to chat before we go? Um, I would say it's important to remain... Um, <laughs> I think remain hydrated, I would say. Oh, God. (laughs) 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 
Help. If anyone's listening to this, help. I'm trapped in a podcast. The SOS. <laughs> yeah. Just, what is, how can you send an SOS via a podcast? SOS. What? You do it every week, right? And see. I know. No, and no one's no, come to help me. No one's answered. Everyone's, no one everyone's, enjoy, everyone's enjoying it. And now we're enjoying it. Everyone's just <laughs> like, oh, Musa seems such a great guy. That laugh, that laugh, that laugh. <laughs> like, listen, oh, God. if anything happens to me, you're all complicit. You're all in on this. You're all complicit, exactly. This has got a bit, bit silly. All right. We hope everyone is staying safe and well, wherever you are in the world. We will be back on Thursday. Well, Don't indeed. forget, for now, you can check Stadio on Twitter, Stadio Football on Instagram, theringer.com forward slash soccer. A couple of pieces coming from us this week. We're going to play out on Vaz, a threat. Let's do it. Stay well, everyone. We'll be back on Thursday. Long